0: What is the best way to use options data in your strategy? Options data can be a very powerful tool to determine market direction. And I, like many of you, just don't know how to use it to help us become better traders. Well, today, my guest, Brent Kochuba, founder of Spot Gamma, is one of the best in the biz for using options data to create powerful strategies. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and FTSE Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get half off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using this promo code, F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. Go to tradestation.com Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap US stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol R-T-Y and the micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about Footsie Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. All right. Brent, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much. love to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. You know, you and I were talking a little bit before the show, and you know, a lot of people are always emailing me and saying, Anthony, do more shows on options. And I always say, well, I'm not an options trader. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm talking about here. And so it's great to have you here. And you know, we're going to go over a bunch of different things today. And I think one of the first things I, I feel is very important is just explain what the Greeks are, right? I mean, people always talk about the Greeks, but I bet you a bunch of people out there that hear people talk about them have no idea even what they are.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of funny. I think if you read the textbook definition of a lot of these things um, of the various Greeks, you know, you say, great, I now understand that Delta is sort of the rate of change of an option for a move in the underlying stock. And you know, that's awesome but what does it actually mean to me right and and I think that sometimes that turns people off from using options analysis to help you know just trade futures right even if you're not an options guy um, we, we've shown I think exhaustively that you still need to pay attention to the options market if you don't trade options right if you're a futures trader you trade spiders or, or the nasdaq or whatever it may be um, there are these impacts and and there's simple ways to translate those Greeks into um, you know meaningful metrics for
0: literally every trader. So let's go so, over what they are. Yeah. Let's just go <laughs> over let's go into the very root basics. I know some people that are watching this are obviously fans of yours and they understand them. But I mean just go over just the basics of what they are.
1: Yeah. So the, the three that get the most attention, I suppose, are Delta, gamma, and then imp- and we'll say implied volatility, right? Would be the third metric. And for most of us, we think about Delta and why is it important? Well, what Delta is telling us is it's telling us essentially the hedge ratio uh, for options dealers or market makers for options trades as they come into the market. So if we think about, you know, everybody's sitting at home or people sitting on big banks at JP Morgan or, or Goldman or a big hedge fund and they're trading options, right? A lot of those options are in the S&P. Uh, and for example, if I'm a big hedge fund like Bridgewater and I want to hedge my portfolio, I might go out and I buy a bunch of puts. Right. And when I buy those puts, there's a counterparty. Somebody has to sell me those puts. And when the counterparty, let's say JP Morgan sells those puts, uh, they now have exposure to the market. Right. they are short puts. And if you're short puts, that means if the market goes down, you could lose a lot of money. So the way that you may hedge that would be to sell futures. So I know there's a lot of lingo already being thrown around here. But the important thing to note here is that the way they would potentially figure out how much they need to hedge, how many futures they need to sell is based off of Delta delta tells them for a given move in the market how many shares of stock or how many futures they'd have to be long or short in order in order to hedge themselves from that from that price risk so delta is the first component right that's the first derivative that tells us how much hedging has to take place uh, for initial trade now obviously as the market is moving around right the amount of hedges that they have to hold for that position is changing and gamma is measuring how much adjustment hedge adjustment they will have to make how much deltas do they need to adjust, right? And that's what gamma. Gamma is the second derivative of delta. Uh, so you can think of it as gamma is the rate of change of delta. So again, if I'm hedged at 3,900 in the S&P and the market moves to 3,950, I have to adjust my hedge. How much do I adjust my hedge by? Well, that's what gamma is telling us. So that's what delta and gamma are. Um, and that's why it's useful for what we do here. And then the third metric is implied volatility. And why implied volatility is important is it's telling us a few things. One, it gives us an idea of what the market expectations are for volatility uh, in terms of how much the market is going to move. But the second thing to note is that as implied volatility goes up, the value of options uh, on average goes higher. And as the implied volatility, you think about the VIX, as the VIX goes down, that means options are generally losing value. And that means that market makers, dealers need to adjust their amount of hedges in kind. So the way that we think about looking at implied volatility in the simplest format is just to look at the VIX. If the VIX goes up, that generally means the market is going to be pressured down. And if the VIX goes down, that generally means there's going to be pressure for the market to go up. And we believe that's linked through the amount of hedges that uh, dealers and market makers need to uh, trade.
0: Got it. And, you know, I want to talk about just this year in general, because recently I was actually uh, on an interview with uh, Tim McCord from CME Group. And we talked about how. I believe it was Q1 of this year was, I believe, a record for options at CME. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at that as a sign that Q2 wasn't the record, right? Q2 actually was the record for futures, I think, in volume. And when I look back at this year, I feel like obviously when you have any sort of record volume, it told me, at least, if I read the tea leaves right, is that the beginning of this year there was so much options activity because a lot of people really highly anticipated this move. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious what, what are your thoughts are when you look at volume records like that and options, which I thought that pretty interesting that this year was the record um, at CME for options. Um, that you know, what is that when you see high volumes coming in? What is that going to just generally typically indicate?
1: I think you're totally right. I mean, when you look back on the data now, it's like it's really obvious. And and I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that I I really was able to flag. I this. wish I I'm, I did. <laughs> no, but when you look back at the data now, you could see the com- the complexity of sort of um, or the complexion, I guess I should say. Excuse me of the way that options were trading late last year, uh, November December started to change much more put heavy than call heavy, and that's with markets at all time high. So it was clear that. And this is right around the time that the Fed was starting to change its tune. It's clear that smart money was starting to position for a weaker market. Um, and so, you know, all that, all those trades, right, all those put options that were paying off uh, into, say, March of this year, uh, those positions, a lot of them were put on late last year. And, you know, we had a few spurts of volatility. The market closed right at its all time high kind of at the end of December. But you could now, when you look back, you go, okay, look, the, the, the complexion was changing. When I say complexion, again, we shifted from this call dominated market to, to traders much more interested in puts. And I, I think what the other interesting thing to note around all this is that um, this increase in options trading is coming at a time when liquidity writ large is worse. And so if you think about uh, i'm sorry i'm pulling up a chart here to give you an example of that but well let's let's take a look. yeah i want to show this liquidity i wasn't planning quite on showing the screen but this is a great tool from the cme it's the, their liquidity tool this shows you the depth of book in the es which is you know the, the s p futures it's kind of the global equity benchmark right or u.s uh, equity benchmark at least and so what you can see here is this is depth of book and this is late December. This is what I'm talking about. Well, the market was making all time highs. We could see this adjustment to so, sort of puts. But look at the liquidity just disappear. Uh, this is top of book. Excuse me. This is book depth. And obviously, yeah, like okay, algos can play games and they may not show all their liquidity and blah 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 blah. But no algos changed materially, right? No, no one came up with a hot new algo between August and December of last year. And so the point here is that liquidity really started to dry up. But the options market started to increase. So I think. People turn to using options as ways to protect themselves or express bets. But the other thing that's a little more concerning for me when I look at this is that options are leverage. And you can invoke leverage on a counterparty when you buy calls. What, what does that mean? Well, for a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars, I can build a position, right, that – that. Uh, Put, puts in place several, you know, tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the counterparty, right? So, if I bunch of buy a bunch of calls for Citadel for a couple hundred bucks, Citadel has got a hedge using thousands of dollars, notional, right? And so, this is happening at a time, right? That increase in options volume is happening at a time when liquidity is really drying up uh, and has not returned. Um, and that leads to volatility, right? That means bid ass spreads widen out, price moves, markets get, more, get much more jumpy um, and, and chippy. And I think, you know, I don't think that there's a coincidence that that put volume increased at the same time liquidity starts to dry up. Uh, it just seems like it happened. You know, correlation is not causation, but but all that seemed to happen at, at the same time.
0: Yeah, what I found so interesting about it is when I found out that that was the record. I you know it was maybe about a month ago. Um, I thought to myself. I said, "This is why the market's trading the way it is. It's like this grind yeah. lower. It's like the reverse bull market. You know." You know, the bear markets that we've seen over the past you know two three times right have been very fast v-shaped bear markets and it just yeah. is like a lot of them are just dead news driven you know just boom 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 smashing bid finding the low finding the low and then all of a sudden you know you don't know when that v bottom is in and then you know we're maybe a third of the way up on that v and you're like okay that's probably the bottom and that's the way bear markets have been versus mm-hmm. this one where it is really just been a methodical grind lower. And when you go back and look, like we both had said, because options volume was so high, it seems to me that this was a hedge move lower. Like actually a majority of the people, you know, putting the big money uh, were right, anticipating this. And it's why we have this type of move, which also makes sense now why the liquidity has dried up is because the move was hedged. You know, we'll call it that, right? Who knows what everyone's positions are, right? But the move was essentially hedge, is why we kind of moved this way. And now you're at a point where no one really knows what the hell to do next. I mean, yeah. I think we're kind of in this phase where, look, it is. There's one point in time where, and I was trading, you know, very actively on, on the bid and offer and S and P. But when all of a sudden it would start to get really thin and jumpy, I would just never work any orders. And, and you look at the, the the big guys out there. Why are they going to work a bunch of orders if they're not really confident, right? So I think that takes us to like the present day. What are you seeing in the options data now that might in, be indicating what could potentially be happening next?
1: Yeah, first back to your comment on on the grind lower. I, I mean, I think the, you know, you and I are, are probably about the same age, I'm guessing. You know, we've, we've been around for uh, a few bear markets, you know, with the great financial crisis and the like. And, and what has happened every time there's been a big crisis is the Fed comes out and bails everybody out. Like that's just the, you know that's the experience of markets, and that seemed that seems to pick up even more after the COVID crash. And and like you said, that buy the dip, reflexive buy the dip, uh, you know, just knee jerk reaction has brought brought these V bottoms. And the difference here is that clearly the Fed is doing the opposite, right? QT starts, you know, as I understand it, uh, in spades this month. The Fed doesn't seem to want to back off. Inflation is not going to come down. Yada yada yada. All that macro stuff. And so you end up with this situation where I think a lot of what was happening was just a deleveraging event, right? So do you have to hedge your equity position if you're just selling off all of your equity shares? Like, I just know I want to get rid of my tech stocks, right? So I don't have anything to hedge anymore. So maybe that is one of the reasons that there's just not that massive put volume that we'd expect. And also the limit down style moves. And so what that kind of brings us to is this, this moment in time where, uh, it seems like people are looking for the Fed to back off, right, or pivot, right? That's what everyone is in, anticipating and people want to buy that dip. Uh, but, you know, the the thing that was driving everybody nuts was this talk about um, capitulation, right? That was the word of the day for a few months and, and it became like this meme to talk about capitulation. And, and I think it's still the case that if we don't get this, if we don't get capitulation, we're not going to get a bottom. And if you... Look at the way the market's been trading. You're totally right. It's been a grind down. If you look at realized volatility in the S and P, that's how much the market's moved over the last 30 days, right? How much is actually uh, how much volatility is taking place? We're at a sustained elevated level that's higher than basically any time in the last 10 years. So typically, what happens is you get a puke, right? The market crashes finally. That's the capitulation. We wash out all of the, you know, we we sort of like. Burn off all the dead wood, so to speak, and then the market recovers, right? And we go back up, but we've not gotten that move yet. It's, it's a very strange uh, window in time here. Um, and that leads me to swim my second point. If you look at how the options market is positioned right now, nobody is interested in what we would call tail hedges. And what does that mean? Well, that's a bet, right, that the market's gonna move more than one standard deviation. So those are the types of puts that you buy if you think that there's gonna be a major crisis in the market. Um, and generally that stuff is correlated with events in the credit market. So if you look at historic limit down days, you know, they come in the midst of say March of 2020, or there's a big one in August of 2015, where the, where the Chinese credit market was going off the, uh, off the rails. Right. And, and that leads people to buy downside, deep downside puts in options. Well, why is that? Well, if you think that there's a major credit event and that companies are going to go bankrupt, you want to bet on something going to zero, uh, then you're going to buy equity puts. Right. It's the cleanest way to bet on a credit crash, because uh, if credit blows up, saying Apple, right, then the stock is going to go to zero. As you all know, you know, stock is the lowest on the total pole in terms of um, uh, valuation. Right. Bonds are, are higher on the scale than than equity. So. So the point is that unless we get shades of a credit crisis, I don't think we get that limit down type move. We're just going to continue to, to grind lower. Uh, in markets. And sorry, I keep going on here. But the thing that's so interesting to me at this moment in time, and we can talk about this a little bit more, is that there are a lot of things going on in Europe. And again, I don't want to, you know, our friend Kevin mirrors the macro turf, so I want to step into this. But there are all these things happening in Europe right now, in particular, that are things we've never seen before, right? Um, energy is a huge problem there. Their debt is now becoming a big problem. You see situations where even though everyone's on euro-denominated debt, but the, the debt in, in Italy is shakier, right, than the debt in Germany now because they're not sure that the union is going to last. The European Union. There's always things, and I'm not going to pretend to dive in that I fully understand this, but the point is that those are the types of weird one-off things that can cause major dislocations in the market and invoke that tail risk that suddenly makes a limit-down style move in equities possible. Uh, we put a tweet thread out on this about long-term capital management where in 1998, they blew up because they were betting on the movement in treasury spreads, right? Very kind of benign uh, asset they were playing or spread they were trading. But then Russia defaulted, which caused a flight to quality, which blew out these treasury spreads they were trading. And suddenly, because of leverage, you know, they became this uh, entity that brought the whole global financial system to its knees. So these are the type of sort of benign things that can happen. You look over across the pond and, and they're an unfortunate situation right now. But, you know, that to me just seems like, Stuff isn't sitting right there.
0: So a couple of things I want to talk about, and you know, you're know, you right, you and I are, are not macro people, right? And But the one thing that you and I do, I mean, I do it through the futures marketing, and, and you're going to talk about how you do it through the options market, looking at the data, is you're going to see what the, the people are thinking through their opinions there. So there's obviously going to be some, some signs of that. Yes. And obviously, we're going to dig into that today because, you know, obviously the big focus today is like looking at the options data to help us um, and why, sh- why should those that are not looking at it and those that are looking at it, how they can get better uh, from that. But the one thing about the capitulation I want to talk about is because this is goes feeds right back into why I think we have not seen capitulation. I think the headlines definitely have been bad enough at times for us to see that, to see a limit down, to see a capitulation. Mm-hmm. But once again, we are in a time where it's really hard to almost find a macro person that is bullish. So now sure. you have all of them and all the people that follow them that have always been bearish. So you get probably a very oversold very quickly in a lot of these moves. There is not that, you know, move where you go back in 2008 where all of a sudden you're like, you know, Moody cuts this, or you had all remember, if you remember yeah. those days, right. That was just, those were like, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden bear sterns, Those were us. Oh my gosh. I and mean, we all knew we were in a financial crisis, but it was like, you know, I remember weeks prior hearing Jim Kramer, like Bear Stearns is, is fine. And then all of a sudden they're blowing up. And this is not a knock at Jim Kramer. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, but that's the way the sh- it was. There were shocks. You yeah. know, COVID was a shock. Yeah. Right? We didn't know. This is the most planned bear market I have ever seen. The rally itself, even on this last rally, I bought a couple of puts. And, you know, I'm, who knows if that was the right thing to do in terms of using options. Maybe we could talk about that. But, you know, I, I bought some NASDAQ puts when I saw us rallying up near some areas that I liked and I just kind of held them. I've since blown out of them. But I'm like, it just seems so easy to sell this rally that it was it was so easy. It was so difficult that I actually went to options instead of trying to short futures because I'm like, is it really going to happen? And it does. And you're like, oh, my God, this is this is one of those years where it's funny how we could all talk about it and see it. It's happening in real time that it's very, yeah. I don't want to say predictable, but it, in all around it, 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 it is compared to other bear markets where we just haven't had the shocks. Maybe Europe brings it. I don't know. But I think what I want to do with you is also just going back to how we look at the data, right? Like, what yeah. are you seeing? Let's maybe go back to the screen share and just take us yeah. through some of the things you're seeing. And maybe we start to you know, get some ideas of how to use the options data to see what's going to come next.
1: Yeah, so the, the the fundamental thing for me is on the screen here. We've been watching this. So on the screen here is the Move Index. Now the Move Index, people call it the Bond VIX, and and essentially what it is is it looks at the price of at the money Treasury bond options. And so if you think about the VIX, when the VIX is spiking, you say, okay, people are worried about an equity crash. You know, you talk about the fear gauge. You want to stick with that, you know, mentality uh, or idea. Well, then this move index is essentially telling you the same thing that people are worried about volatility in treasury bonds. So, you know, you and I are both good friends with Darius Dale at, at, at 42 Macro and, and go to him for the macro stuff. But I asked him, I said, look, is this a stupid way to look at this? <laughs> like, I need one gauge to tell me what the macro environment is. And I've been saying, look at the move index, because if you think about uh, the treasury bonds, right, that's the core of essentially the credit markets. If people are worried about volatility there right? Then, then that means credit markets are under some kind of stress. Once this move index comes down and this data goes back to 2019, once the move index kind of comes down back into and under this hundred, then that tells me that the bond volatility, right? Bond traders are at ease. And I think at that point you get a sustained rally in equities, right? That's a longer term way to look at it. Now, as this ties back to my work too, on the screen here, we have two things. We have the VVIX and we have the SKU index. Now, both of these are a little more complicated options metrics, but essentially what these are telling you is the SKUDEX index measures, what, is, what are people pricing sort of out of the money put options versus calls, right? If you're worried that there's gonna be a major crash in equity markets, you're gonna buy put options and that's gonna drive this SDEX, right? This is this teal line higher. So are people worried about a crash in equities, if yes, then this SDEX market skew index market should go higher. It's the same thing with the VIX. The VIX is going to be uh, the value that's going to rise up when people are really interested in call option uh, in call options for the VIX, right? So essentially, look at these as a basis of fear gauges, right? Different type of fear gauges from the VIX. The fact is that both of these metrics are down near lows that rival that of, of pre-COVID while you have the move index, right, screaming higher is telling me that there is this dislocation between what credit markets are looking at and expecting and what equity markets are looking at and expecting. And you and I have both been around long enough to know that the stuff that breaks first is credit markets when you're talking about a real crash, right? Credit markets go first, equities is usually yeah. last to catch up and then equities catches up really rather violently. Now, I don't know and I don't, I'm don't. i not going to sit here and say this the, these two have to converge or that, you know, equity volatility has to rise up to where the move index is. Uh, I just think that until this spread disappears, the odds of a tail event in equities remains very, very high, right? Because again, the credit market has concerns and the equity markets are not paying attention. Now, the concern is if there is a situation where these two metrics spike, they will spike along with lots of put buying or call buying in the vix. And if you think back to the, the the greeks that we were talking about before. Anthony, if you come and you start buying a lot of puts from me and I'm a market maker at Goldman or a dealer at Goldman and I start selling you lots of puts, I don't have any other choice than to start likely selling futures, right? And so suddenly if if for some reason people get worried about the credit market and whatever else it may be and start to buy, right, in force put options, all the dealers are going to, have to start selling futures, right? That's going to pressure the market lower. That's the delta trade, right? That's the delta response. And then if the market keeps going lower, this is what Gamma measures. Gamma tells us that they need to sell more futures incrementally as the market goes lower. So that creates this feedback loop. If the market starts going lower and people are buying puts, and Goldman selling futures, that makes the market goes lower, which makes people more scared, which makes them buy more puts, which makes Goldman sell more futures, right? It's this feedback loop, reflexive feedback loop that that continues these these spirals that we see. So again, what's what would be happening here is that the market's pretty weak already. I think you and I would both agree, agree on that, right? Uh, it can't seem to find a, a sustained bid. If we get in this position where people start to really demand equity put options, then that just pushes... You know that 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 pushes the market over the top. That's where we start to get you know four or five percent down moves uh, on a, on a daily trading basis.
0: I love this chart here on Trading View. Uh, I, I you know I'm on Trading View all the time, but I don't know exactly how to share that. If you could maybe grab that link and share it, I'm sure people are going to want it. I love that. Yeah, that just um, a very important thing. Yeah, copy the link to the chart image and maybe drop uh, that yeah. in the chat. Also, yeah, pretty- too, I put a poll out for everybody. Um, how many of you are using options? and what was interesting is that you know yes or no let me actually go back and double check now and see what the total number is so yeah 73 percent of you are using options so obviously we've got a lot of people on here brent that that are following you and doing that i know a lot, i know very few are probably following me and say that they're using options so maybe that's the case but uh, i think what's interesting about it is is that you know options have grown so much and you know, they're just going back to what you had said. Here's that link, everybody. It's in chat now um, where you talked about, you know, if they're buying a lot of the out of the money puts that that leads to the selling the futures. And I yep. guess, you know, when we look at this, you know, let's talk maybe a little bit about spot gamma or some of the stuff that you guys are giving the information, because I can tell you this. Obviously, I've been on the charts and the screens for a lot of years. A lot of times I struggle to actually find like where options data is and to get it. I feel like you know, better off going to people like you or somebody to show me exactly kind of what's happening versus trying to find the tools necessarily on the platform. Um, I think this is a good chart, I think for general understanding, but what what would some of the things that you'd be looking at to where you would start to say, obviously that chart I understand would be indicative of what it essentially is. <laughs> a lot of this chart. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but what would be some of the things that you would be looking at maybe through spot gamma stuff that you guys do or whatever to start yeah. saying, you know, P- put us on alert uh, as to what could happen next.
1: Yes. Uh, so th- thanks for the opportunity to talk about that a little bit. Um, so the first thing I would say is that uh, next week, this is September 16th. There's a very large options expiration taking place in which a lot of put options are set to expire. Uh, immediately following that is the FOMC, the so FOMC is on the 21st. And then yeah. we have a CPI reading on the 13th. So next week is a huge week. Uh, on the macro landscape, but then also obviously the options man- landscape. And so I, I wanted to zoom out and there's a, a whole lot of lines on this chart I'll, I, I, and I'll get through it. But for those of you, many of you who've heard me talk before know this is the song and dance from me before. But when you look at these big quarterly options expirations, historically, they are timed around significant lows in the options market. So excuse me, in the, in the equity market. So specifically, this is December of 2018 and March of 2020. The lows of those markets were the day after very big options expirations. Now, those lows also coincided with some accommodative Fed policy, which is why you get a sustained rally. Uh, but you can look back over time and see these big quarterly op- options expirations that are timed and linked exactly to lows in the equity market. And a lot of times um, this is just a function of what we call positional analysis. Right. Big puts getting expired. If you're Goldman and you're short a bunch of futures as a bunch of put options are expired and you're short those puts, suddenly you no longer have anything to hedge. Right. Your put options just expired. They went away. The, the puts that you're short. And now you have a bunch of short futures in theory. And so they're going to go buy all those futures back and the market's going to rally. Right. That's just a function of, again, the deltas, they got to buy their deltas back. Um, so if we zoom in a little bit more here, year to date, you can see that. Here's the March monthly options expiration. So the bottom was two days before the FOMC was just before this event. And then you had some Chinese stimulus come out. I, you get a 10% rally over the course of this month. I think that, again, this has so much to do with the options landscape driving becomes the, you know, is put in the driver's seat of these events. Um Again, if you look back at January, which is not a quarterly expiration, but there was huge equity calls that expire. You had a significant low the day after. Uh, June is the same thing, right? We had this big low in the market and we get a rally, just kind of this reflexive rally off of options expiration. And so when we zoom in just a little bit more, and this is, look, you don't have to know how Delta's work exactly, how Gamma's work, all that sort of thing. If you just know big puts are expiring on these quarterly expirations, I need to mark this on my chart as a key turning date, Right. Uh, you can see that this turning date here, this is September options expiration. We're, we're kind of approaching this with a, with a rather weak market. Um, and so if you have a lot of puts expiring in general, that could lead to a market rally. We think just off of positioning, just like if we have a lot of calls expiring, that can oftentimes lead to volatility. Right. The market sort of softening and weakening. Um, and you don't need, no need to know anything about Greeks about that. Uh, that's just sort of just basic essence of, of, of time. Um, and the second thing to know about here is that, as many of you guys, seventy-three percent of your trade options, right? Um, the idea of implied volatility. So if we just sort of add the VIX onto this chart, you know, there's a lot, lot of ways to look at volatility. Um, if you let's just say that VIX is our barometer of volatility, right? And, and it gets obviously more complicated than that. But basically, the idea is that as the VIX goes down, that that we believe pressures the market goes up to go up. So why is that? Well. And a lot of people will talk about this as the Vanna trade, for example. Um, what do they call well, it again? I'm sorry, say it again. What do they call it? The Vanna trade? The Vanna trade, like Vanna White. You'll see the yeah. Vanna trade will come out a lot. And, and <laughs> what the Vanna trade is, is essentially trying to estimate uh, dealer buying and selling, right, based on changes in implied volatility. And that's the idea that the VIX goes down, the market should go up. Well, why is that? If you think about put values, right, one of the biggest inputs to what a put is valued is implied volatility. If you think there's gonna be a lot of volatility, the put option is worth more. And if you think there's gonna be lower uh, volatility, then the put is worth less, right? That's just a common sort of metric. And you can, again, Google implied volatility and you dig into this a little bit more if you like. So the point here is that if implied vol goes down and you own a put, you're gonna lose money, right? And if you own a put and implied volatility spikes, your put value is gonna make more money, right? So that's the lever. Again, if VIX is going down, that's telling you that, in general, puts are losing value. And if VIX goes up, that's telling us that puts are gaining in value. Well, why does that matter? This is the vanity. Well, if puts are gaining in value because implied volatility is going up, dealers have are, dealers are on the other side that they are losing money, right, as a result. So they need to arguably sell more futures or do something to grow their hedge size, right, to the, to the short side, right? If I'm short a lot of puts and the value of those puts is increasing, I'm losing money I need to sell more futures or do something to adjust my hedge to uh, to prevent further losses. And similarly, if I'm short a bunch of puts and all of a sudden implied volatility or the VIX just drops to 15 tomorrow, I'm going to make a lot of money. That's great. So if I'm short a whole bunch of futures and all my puts just lost all their value, I don't need to be short that many futures anymore. I can start to buy futures back, right? I can adjust my hedge so that they're you know the the put values and again, just think about it from the VIX. VIX down. Means the market can go up; they're inversely correlated,
0: and this is a, a simplistic way of looking at it. But I think it's it's, it's a pretty effective way, and yeah, so and it shows how the order flow and why the order flow is coming in. Right? That, that's exactly that, that's exactly right. And tipping, and they have to adjust it. That that, that you're you're
1: 100 right. So if you just sort of overlay these, you know, you can see obviously, and everyone knows these are inversely correlated: the VIX and the S and P 500, which is on the bottom. And I, the reason I bring this up is we have the Fed talking tomorrow. We have a CPI number. Now, there's this idea of event vol. And if you guys have ever traded earnings, you understand what this is. What that essentially means is that options hold a volatility premium anytime there's a big event like Powell speaking or the FOMC uh, because there's uncertainty there, right? Maybe Powell says, look, I'm going to raise 100 basis points, not 75, and the market goes, oh, no, and, and everything just pukes. So generally what happens is after the event, that event ball comes down. And what that essentially means is the VIX is baking in some premium because Powell is speaking tomorrow. Odds are Powell doesn't do anything to upset the market and the VIX will just kind of gap down after that event, i.e. the event ball comes off and that's a ratchet for the market to shift higher, at least reflexively that, that tends to what happened. Um, now we have the CPI coming out on the 13th. The CPI is now hedged like it's an FOMC because people think that you know, obviously, if, if inflation is perceived as benign, the Fed can pivot, blah, blah, blah. So you have all these events lined up now that have a lot of volatility, right? Event volatility tied to them. Um, That means that if those events pass, right, and there's not like a, a shocker, then that is going to be equity positive because event ball is just going to come down, right? The market in general is going to breathe the size of relief because Powell didn't say 100 bips and CPI was... Lower or whatever it is, and so the VIX is going to drop, and that is a that is a lever to move the market up. Now that's going to coincide at the same time. A lot of put options are going to expire September sixteenth, so that's why these next weeks from an options market feedback so much into the stock market and futures market. Um, you know those are the correlations there. That's why you want to watch the VIX. How is the VIX responding here? Uh, if you see the VIX going up and the market hasn't, you know, like let's say you know Powell speaks tomorrow and the VIX just continues to ride up. Uh, he's speaking at 9, 10 a.m. Eastern time, you know, the VIX isn't selling off, then, then I don't want to be long equities if, if if it looks like the VIX is continuing to creep higher. Because uh, the op, that's telling you the options market just is not liking what's happening, right? And you can see those dislocations o- occasionally, like after um, the last FOMC. Uh, so again, you have these things lined up where a bunch of puts are going to expire, and you have this reason for traders to either buy or sell volatility, Odds are they sell volatility in and around these events. Uh, of course, if Powell comes off way more hawkish or whatever, then the VIX is going to go up, and that's telling you that uh, VIX higher means market lower. So um, those are the those are like the
0: simplest ways to sort of think about what's happening. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and Footsie Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get half off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using this promo code. F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. Go to tradestation.com slash Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-Mini Russell 2000 future symbol R-T-Y and the micro E-Mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit footserussell.com. Calm. yeah what i love about this is is it really it, it clarifies what i think a lot of traders and you know people out there are just thinking in, in general when you look at the lead up to the event right you know a lot of people will talk about sell the rumor buy the news yeah. type things like that and it's really happens because the vix is going up in the anticipation of volatility obviously these numbers have been volatile right? And then all of a sudden you have options expiration that, that occurs and you you have the event behind you and you have the options expiration behind you. The path of least resistance then leads to being up unless the market's screaming lower and then we're resetting for another next event type scenario. So it's really interesting to me to see how how the market really is goes back to the beginning of the year, I think as well, Brent, where we talk about it. Everything is really being so planned out because mm-hmm. we know it's the Fed, we know it's the CPI, right? It goes back to this is why we're not getting the shock moves like the bear market where everyone's like just let it go already and make a low. Well, it's it's not working that way because if we're we're going from data point to data point, expiration to expiration, and it seems like we're in the same type of cycle. Uh, and seeing this on the char- chart just confirms it. It's very interesting to hear it from the options perspective. And how this is all transpiring—it's really cool. Yeah,
1: thanks. And and you know the other thing here is you is you talk about volatility and, and so let's talk about like what is the all clear signal from a little bit more of a macro perspective. Now, any like real vol trader is going to listen to me saying just watch the VIX and but you know there's term structure and skew blah, blah, blah. and and so you can obviously get inf- infinitely more complicated there. So I just want to add that sort of asterisk, obviously. Uh, but but if you're just a, if you're a pure futures trader and you're just watching this and you want to kind of just get, catch the barometer. You know, again, that, that VIX is very important uh, for those reasons. Um, and, and if you want to sort of figure out from another you know, view of, there's, there's really two types of markets and there's a lot of data we have to support this. right? There, there are call heavy markets or, call, or, or, or environments where there's a lot of call positions and those are typically associated with low volatility markets. right? And then there are put heavy markets which are associated with or linked to high volatility markets. And so many of you who are on FinTwit have heard of the idea of zero gamma, right? Or uh, we call our proprietary level the vol trigger. And, you know, why does that matter? Well, those levels are essentially measuring the, the, the point at which calls are sort of the larger options position from a gamma perspective as, you know, you think of gamma as a weighting mechanism. Calls are bigger or more impactful to the market than puts, right? So when you're over that vol trigger or zero gamma line, as a lot of people call it, you can think of if calls are in the market and that suppresses volatility, generally have less volatility in the market. Uh, and then conversely, when you're under the, the zero gamma level um, and by right now, for example, four thousand is this level. And if I zoom in on this, you know, four thousand is this options level where above this level call positions pick up. Right. And that supports the market. It suppresses volatility through hedging. Um, and etc. And, and again, there's a lot of stats to support this. Uh, volatility comes down, and lower volatility is generally more equity friendly, right? Um, especially for long-term holders. And then, if you're below this 4,000 level, it's predominantly a pickup in puts or negative gamma, right? And people have heard these terms too, where negative gamma is linked to higher volatility and more stress in the market. And so, you know, what we're watching from a short-term perspective, and again, you can you, there there. Are, uh, there are ways to look at this data. We actually are starting to offer this data for free in our market of where this sort of flip point is. But the point here is that if you want to sort of be able to forecast the all clear from the options market, we look at the VIX coming down, we look at the passing, you know, through uh, September OPEX, but we also want to get over this 4,000 strike. There's a ton of positions at the market, uh, uh, options positions at that strike. But when we get above that, it's more pure call positions. The, the, the call positions are stronger above there we think that gives a, a market tailwind right uh, through this volatility suppression. So if you're sort of weighing out where does the options market become supportive, it's above the kind of zero gamma level. And we have back tests that sort of that that also support this idea that when you get to a positive gamma or above this 4000 level in this case, uh, that's better for a longer term, you know, positive outlook on markets. And below that, uh, as you can see on the chart here, again, we're more dominated by puts. Um, so we also have this idea of the put wall, and the put wall tells you where the largest, most concentrated put positions are. And what's interesting about this market is that what often happens is that you will see here, uh, and this has been the put wall since 831. So you can see the market has hit this level and been very supportive. And what happens here is as the market, we believe, tests this level, traders tend to close their put positions and roll them lower. Uh, and that creates a deltas to buy back for dealers. And so as puts are closed, dealers can buy back deltas and that pr- produces this bounce in the market. Uh, and we also look for the movement of how this wall shifts as a barometer for how traders are positioned. And so what's been interesting here is though, even though we've tested this level several times, that wall has not shifted. Um, you look for it to lo- move lower as a bearish indicator or move up as a bullish indicator, but it is just not changing. And so back to this original point about uh, the market's grinding lower and there's not perceived tail risk and those kinds of things. Like we're not seeing this big demand for put buying. Um, and that's really one of the things that this data point, the put wall shows. So not only is this an important support level, um, but the fact that it's the level is not shifting is also kind of indicating to us uh, that there still is not a whole bunch of demand for uh, for big put positions.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I know you explained, you know, a little bit about how you get to those levels, but so what happens if let's just say we start to cross below 3,900 and yeah. we have, you know, we don't have any sort of still new shock. What is like the plan at that point? Is it because or is it as a trader when it gets down below there and all of a sudden I'm going, okay, I'm bearish um, or is it something different in, in thinking that maybe this is the time to start buying in again because maybe we're just caught in between these two levels. Because who knows, we've talked about bull and bear type markets, but maybe to me, it looks like maybe we're just trapped in, in just a range uh, if nothing crazy happens. Yeah. That and that's,
1: that's,
0: a, that's a
1: fantastic question. And that's why I like to flip back to two things. One is the VIX. And so I love to use the VIX as this confirming indicator. So you know, we have our levels, we put out levels every day. This is, you know, more or less what they look like on your screen here. Uh, we import them to different systems like TradingView. But, you know, we lay these levels out before the open around 3 a.m. And so like the call wall and the put wall are two of our most important levels. Right. And so when the market, sorry, I got my wrong screen here. When the market approaches one of those levels, right, I anticipate that this is, should be a support level based on the start of day data. But then I'll watch it. Right. And I'll watch for the BICs to confirm that support level. So in this case, what you can see is that we test the, the put wall here, right? And then the VIX starts to sell off. And what the VIX coming down is telling me, obviously, you know, what the VIX coming down is telling me is that people may be selling puts. Implied volatility is coming down. Implied volatility coming down is one of those signals, again, that the market's going to start to bounce. And conversely, when we were at the call wall, you'll see that VIX start to spike here. Right. And that's confirming to me that the market's going to turn and sell off. So this is that confirming indicator. And you can see oftentimes, you know, they're very closely linked in time, obviously. Right. But you will see the VIX move just a little bit before. If you're a day trader, uh, you'll see the VIX move a little bit before and you'll see the VIX is now it's trending lower all morning. Right. Uh, the pressure is coming off the market and the markets start to rally. You can you can start to really flesh out these relationships um and, and again so if i'm looking for support at this level and i see the vix confirming it then the pieces are starting to line
0: up um, i'm so glad you showed me this because this is like what came first the chicken or the egg right i mean yeah pin, look go, go back and look at this and say well there maybe they're moving in unison how is one a leading indicator but what you're saying yeah. the vix first because going back to your example that's what tips the scale because now they look at it and say, I need less of this or more of this. And that's when you see that the future start to be impacted. That,
1: that's right. And, and it, it is some of this thing, well, you know, what exactly is trending lower than VIX, right? And and how much do they lead and change? And if you watch it on a close enough time frame, so, you know, I'll have up one minute bars or something like that on a chart and you, and you can see, okay, the VIX is starting to make a move or starting to turn. And there'll be times where we also just see like a price gap or jump real quick and the VIX will drop. And and, and that'll kind of give you an idea that the options market's really impacting things. Um, and and you'll start to get a feel for the for the relationship of these two. And I think it's, it's quite valuable. So, you know, if you're looking to get long equities here, um, you know, the, this VIX just continues to come down. Now, at any point, obviously, all this can start to turn. But this, you know, if the VIX starts to creep back up here, then you go, okay, I, I maybe want to start to peel out of some of my longs. And then we also have this indicator we call HERO. And what's interesting about HERO is that it shows the real-time deltas traded. So what does that mean? Um, every single option trade that takes place in real time, we measure what the hedging impact is. And what that essentially means is how much theoretical buying or selling was a dealer or market maker have to do as a result of this flow coming in. And so we watch the SPX, the SPY, and the Qs as our sort of macro barometers um, for what flow is coming into the market. And what's interesting in this case here. Um, is that you can see very short time frames. You can see, uh, let me just explain this, sorry. Uh, in orange is the deltas or the hedging pressure from call options trading today. And then in blue is the hedging pressure from puts. And so what this tells us, if this orange line is going down, this tells us that traders are selling calls. And if the orange line is going up, it means traders are buying calls. So what you can think of it is, is that if these lines trail up, Right. The blue and orange. That is positive Delta trades. That means dealers should be buying futures. And conversely, uh, if these lines are going lower, it means that uh, these are negative Delta trades, which should pressure the market lower. And so what's interesting in short you know, spurts, you can see the, the link, right? The correlation here. People are buying puts here and selling calls and you get weakness in the market. And then with this latest rally, you see people sold a bunch of puts right as the market is around this three ninety area and you get this rally. And what I saw now, which I wanted to bring up, is just kind of interesting to try out some of these things live. 39.50 is one of the levels that we watch on our uh, on our note here. So you can see 39.50 is our large gamma two. That's our second strongest sort of level. So we're at this 39.50 level. Sorry, too many tabs open. Uh, I would be wanting to watch the VIX to turn, right? The VIX starts to peel back up. That tells me that we could be coming down off of this resistance line. But then the other key flow to note here is that traders are starting to sell calls as we get into 395 spiders um one thing to note the spider options complex can be often as big or larger than spx complex and the cues is also very important to watch so even if you're only trading uh, es futures you want to keep an eye on all of those because obviously if if there's big bearish flow in the queues that's going to spill over right that's going to link into uh negative trading or 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 sell uh, selling in in the SP as well
0: um Real quick really on that help? last chart, I think what's really cool for a lot of the order flow traders, I think that watch this, you can watch your order flow tools align that with what's happening in the options. I think that could be a really good indication of obviously what's happening. You know, it's interesting.